Welcome to Displacement, a podcast journey toward hope, brought to you by St. Ignatius Parish in San Francisco. This week, Maggie, Father Travis, and I have a discussion about mercy and what it means to be merciful. This week, as we approach Easter, we are contemplating Blessed Are the Merciful in our Lenten book, Displacement. Mercy is a topic that is found riddled throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I have uh, no proof for this, but I think it's one of the themes that it probably is the most constant throughout the Bible and one that is not only specific to Christianity, but was a very part of how Jesus was raised and how Mary and Joseph and his whole Jewish culture um, would have emphasized for him. So going fast forwarding 2000 years ahead Uh, What does mercy look like today, and who are the the blessed today? How do we live out mercy? This is the theme that we will be reflecting on today. Hi, I'm Father Travis Russell, Associate Pastor at St. Ignatius. I'm Teresa Carino, Director of Faith Formation. And I'm Maggie Warner, Coordinator of Parish Worship. So we're recording this episode on Monday, March 30th, and we received um, some news that the shelter in place um, that we've been living under here at the Bay Area has been extended to May 1st. How are you guys reacting to that? I'll just say for me, it was like a punch in the gut. Um, we're recording this via Zoom, and so seeing your faces and listening to you, and there's a little bit of internet uh, feedback in the background and noises going on, and it feels like very much we're in a bomb shelter. That's at least that's how I feel, and that we're kind of the end of the world is coming, and we're just seeing each other in our own, you know, respective places, um, hiding out. So I guess it's like one of those post-apocalyptic novels that I feel like I'm running or I'm living through, and it's just starting to wear on me. Yeah, I had the same feeling. Um, Like a week or so before we got the shelter in place, I was driving home late from work, and I was listening to KQED, and they were talking about the spread of coronavirus and I was alone on a like an empty highway and I was like this is how all zombie movies start like some girl listening to the news um driving home late at night and it's just I don't know I think when I got the shelter in place I was really hopeful we are it felt like we are doing our duty as a citizen of the world and like in two weeks, it'll be over. And now that it's extended and kind of all the reports that I'm hearing are saying that 
here in the States, we haven't even like seen the peak of it yet. Um, it's pretty terrifying. Something that I read today in the Chronicle after London Breed extended the shelter in place instruction was this statement that we don't know yet if we are, if we don't know yet for sure if the virus is being transmitted exponentially or linearly, um, we would want it to be growing in a linear fashion because that means the growth is a little bit slower. However, we don't know if that's what's happening or if we're waiting for the beginning of the mushroom cloud like New York City is experiencing. And I think that was also, that was the gut in the punch in the gut feeling for me, like you had Travis, because I, I was like, like you were saying, Teresa, like, ah, oh, we're doing the right thing and we're going to flatten the curve and just discovering today that we don't know yet. And we have a lot longer to go. It was discouraging, eye-opening, um, but I feel like resolved about it. You know, I want obviously this is something that we're doing for one another and for people who are for all of us but for people who are more vulnerable but it is a challenge it's going to be a challenge like the idea of working from home for another 30 days Woo. yeah and not being able to like be together as a community it's going to change the way that we do palm sunday how we do holy week um yeah and who else do I like go in their office and interrupt when I don't want to work? I mean, <laughs> Teresa's not next door to me, so. Yeah, I plan at home. We're at the <laughs> office. It's going to die. So now I just shoot a text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Teresa was alluding to this. Um, I was thinking we, we need to talk to the whole parish about this, but we did get official instructions from the archdiocese that none of our Triduum liturgies will be public. So that is super weird. It's going to be very, very strange. And the more I think about that, um, I really feel bad for all those who are going through RCIA, who are looking forward to being welcomed into the community. Um, it was a big deal for them uh, as it, you know, rightfully so. And they invited their families, their friends, their children. Um, and so my heart just kind of goes out to them. Uh, I remember when I was going through our CIA, how big of a deal it was to me. And then to just have the rug pulled out from under you. Uh, it's got to be kind of deflating. What changes do you guys see or have you experienced in our community in the ways that you like Teresa, you were saying where it's going to change our community and certainly it's going to change Holy Week. Um, what do you guys see changing or different in our community right now? We hosted a virtual hospitality hour on Sunday. Yeah, I was going to ask you to talk about that because I wanted to hear more about it. It was really fun. Um, people stayed for like an hour and a half, which is probably longer than they stay normally. Uh, hospitality. I think at most we had like 25, um, like 25 screens going and then some of them had families. So we had more than 25 people there. Uh, wow. Yeah. 
it was super awkward at the beginning. Um, <laughs> and like a lot Just of it. like sh- hospitality when you're trying to find someone to talk to. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the same. That hasn't changed. It has not changed at all. That transcends all mediums. Um, <laughs> But then people just got into a flow and it was nice to be able to see people's names on Zoom so you can kind of ask them directly and uh, like they'd be like, Maggie, like you haven't spoken. What would you like to say to our community? And so that's like name tags at hospitality. Exactly. Zoom so tag. It felt very much the same. Like the spirit was there, um, like kind of regulars in the community had signed on. Um, and then we had people calling in from Pennsylvania. So it was like extended beyond our, our immediate community. Oh, wow. Yeah. I know we talked about this last week being more intentional about the people we're communicating with, but I had a couple of long phone conversations with parishioners and a couple of longer emails um, that with people that I don't normally communicate with from the parish. And I feel as if there's a little, um, I don't know, maybe it's because we're all communicating from home and we don't have this physical place where we're meeting, which is church and doing liturgy together. It feels like a little bit more personal. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's just my own perception, but the conversations that I've had have felt more like friend conversations and just have been like a few notches more intimate, which has been really interesting. Um, and one of the best text messages that I got this week was from Cecile Ehrman, who many of you know, she's our lector coordinator. And she sent me a video of her granddaughter with a uh, maraca is that what the shakers is that what those yeah. are called yeah so she was dancing with a maraca and she was pretending that it was her microphone but she was singing along to music at mass oh oh so nice. sweet. yeah it was very cute so yeah i feel like one of the things that's changed is even though i'm touching and communicating with fewer people those conversations seem to be more intimate I've just noticed how I interact with people. I, I agree. It just kind of cuts all superficiality. It just kind of cuts through. And so people are a lot more raw. Um, you know, there's less of an exterior. Um, so it's easy to get to the heart of the matter and just have a real conversation and a sense of vulnerability. There's a sense of shared vulnerability in all of this. But one thing I've been noticing in me is screen time. I oh, just man. I have to make myself sit down in front of a computer. Um, and it just like, it's like a black hole that just takes my energy. And as soon as I sit down in front of a computer, it just robs me of, I don't know, just kind of any extra, um, yeah, energy that I had. Uh, it just kind of sucks it out of me. And actually, interesting, like true confessions time. Uh, one of the things that I haven't been doing is devoting more time to prayer, which I would think I would have all this time to sit down in the morning, have my coffee, 
put on some music and meditate and spend time in prayer or reading the scriptures. And I found that just really hard because I have so much anxious energy wanting to kind of get out of my body that sitting down in a chair is the last thing that I want to do. Yeah. So why don't we just move on to our theme? Blessed are the merciful. As we were getting ready to record this segment, I just was taking a look at our displacement booklet and realizing that I wrote the introduction to this and I forgot that I wrote the introduction to this segment because when we were working on this booklet, feels like about a hundred years ago. Um, but I'm really, <laughs> I think there are new facets of the way that we're living and practicing mercy in the midst of uh, this pandemic, certainly. And what, I think that this is uh, still really salient for certainly what's happening in our world. But I think that this is obviously a foundational piece and tenet of being a Christian disciple and the way that we view and understand people who are displaced. Why does mercy continue to be such a central tenet of Christian discipleship? Well, one of the things that emerged for me as I was coming back to our reflection questions in the displacement booklet and thinking about how we treat displaced people in the United States right now, and I, I mean, all over the world with countries and nations who are dealing with large numbers of displaced people. I was reminded of some of the earliest instructions that the Israelites received from God, which is to care for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. And I think the baseline principle of that, like the baseline of how we're called to, to be people who are following God is to be a people who are merciful, who approach those who are weaker, who have less, who are on the margins with mercy. And I think those groups of people haven't vanished. They're still living among us all the time, every day. And I think that that's still moving out to those places and moving out of our selfish tendencies is one of the ways that we find God and discover where God is in ourselves and in other people. So one thing I've been doing is clearing my bookshelves during these times, meaning I've had all these books stacked up there that I was going to read and I haven't touched. So I've just started pulling them down and tearing through them. And one of the books I'm reading is by a philosopher, Michael Sandel, and it's called What Money Can't Buy. Mm. And he talks about the morality of markets. And he's saying there are certain things in this world now that 30 years ago, we would have never, ever commodified. So uh, he uses like standing in line where now you can buy TSA pre-check or you can mm -hmm. have a special line to the um, baseball game or there's people who are professional people who just stand in line at Congress so that a lobbyist can get a place ahead of them. And, or there's these concierge, especially in these times, doctor uh, services 
So you have an express lane to seeing a doctor if you are sick, all if you just pay. And that these are fundamental moral questions. And so I was thinking about that, and he says that we function off a utilitarian logic. logic. Yeah, yep. And I was thinking that in time in Jesus' times and the Israelites, is here they are surrounded amongst a bunch of enemies, and they're looking how to distinguish themselves. And so um, that's why I think mercy is such a, a tenet of our faith, because the world operates off a utilitarian logic, self-interest, economic mindset. And so mercy, you, you just like someone's merciful. And you're like, wow, that person stands out. Like what's there? I don't know. I don't know what's there, but there's something going on. For those of you that don't have a master's degree in philosophy, like Father Travis does, uh, I think one of the key pieces of utilitarianism that shows up in a lot of particularly American legislature and policymaking is the good of many over the good of one. So a lot of times you're looking for solutions to community or civic problems that meet the needs of lots of people, but don't necessarily recognize the dignity of the individual. That was better than any philosophy professor I ever had. <laughs> that's <laughs> but that's the, like the core tension in Catholic social teaching, right? Like each person was made in the image and likeness of God with their own God-given human dignity. Yet we were made to be in community one, with one another. We're by nature social creatures. So often those two tenets are just in, um, are held in tension. And I think, you know, we need as a community to be adaptable to say sometimes it is, it's the common good that needs to be more valued. Or sometimes it's like, well, we have to look at the individual and we have to look at that one person. Um, you're going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to interject and say, I think that I, I think actually Michael Sandal drew out this conclusion in a uh, something that I was saying in our last episode. But Teresa, I think that that also really touches on what is so surprising about this time of shelter in place because we're definitely for the first time in my life as an American citizen putting aside the the uh, the good of large a larger group of people for the economy or those in our country who would be strong enough to fight off the virus for people who wouldn't be. So I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating about this time is that it really pushes against our utilitarian ideals as a country. And that's the thing about mercy is just that mercy knows no bounds. It is not confined by markets. It cannot be monetized. Uh, it's just freely given, unconditional, unmerited, complete gift. And I think that's what makes mercy so radical to the normal day-to-day -day ways in which we operate. Yeah. I love this quote by the um, virtue ethicist, James Keenan, 
And he defines mercy as entering into the chaos of another person's life. And I like to couple that with um, something that Margaret Farley wrote, a theologian who I believe is based out of, or was based out of Yale Divinity. Mm-hmm. She was talking about relationships um, and her field is sexual ethics, but she was talking about the transcendent nature of relationships and how when we enter into them, we essentially let go of a center that is only that only holds us. And now when we're in a relationship, that center expands to hold um, another person. Mm-hmm. I think parents know this best that when their child is born, it's not like their love for each other is diminished, but just that center grows larger and can hold more people. And I think that mercy is truly transcendent because it calls us into relationship with one another and calls us outside of ourselves. Yeah, that call outside of ourselves is so hard. It's so, it pushes against our human nature in every single way. Um, One of the things that I wrote about in my introduction for this week is the difference between a spirit of scarcity and a spirit of abundance. And I think a spirit of scarcity is one of the things that drives a lot of our policy towards displaced people. We're afraid that we don't have resources enough to take care of the influx of immigrants or will there be enough jobs? Will there be enough food? Will there be enough housing? And all of it is born out of this spirit of fear and of scarcity. And I think one of the things that mercy does is it calls us to a spirit of abundance and a belief that there will be enough and that when we share from what we have, there will be, there will be enough and God will respond with physical and spiritual and emotional abundance. Yeah. And how, I mean, it's kind of inverse of any basic 101 economics that something is valuable because it's scarce, but mercy is valuable because it's abundant, which makes absolutely no sense um, in a market of supply and demand. So that kind of actually leads into or segues into another question that we had of, why is mercy so controversial? We had that great kind of scene of Pope Francis when asked about people in same-sex relationships. And he says, well, who am I to judge? And that sent shockwaves around the world. And he's had some other shocking moments, for example, after the Synod on Family Life, when he implied that we should treat people who are divorced with mercy and with compassion as they're trying to come back to the church and find a way back into relationship with the sacramental life of the church. And that also was really upsetting. I think it also put, I think that put 
more ecclesial shockwaves through the world. But I think the example you mentioned, Travis, was more global shockwaves. Everyone was talking about that quotation from him on the plane. Well, who am I to judge? I think in many ways, historically, Christianity or Catholicism has emphasized work. And if we work hard, like we will receive like God's grace or like if we, and this is, I'm totally pulling this from a conversation I had with my fiance who's Protestant. And he was talking about the popular depictions of Catholicism and how someone goes to a confessional and is like confesses their sins and penance is like to say 10 Hail Marys and like we're led to believe that because that person is saying this specific set of words over and over again, then they're going to receive absolution. And that's not theologically right, but it's a common perception. And I think it's because we've in many ways like modeled our church off of political structures like Catholicism was a tool to expand empire, like the Spanish empire in particular um, is what I'm thinking about and the crusades. And there's this like really ugly history that we have where we equate our work or our deeds with like reaching salvation. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that uh, mercy is so polarizing, too, is because it asks something of us. And I think it's just like that quote that you gave us earlier from Keenan about the messiness of other people's lives. When When you're asked to be merciful, a lot of times it means giving up something, maybe something physical like food or access to water or the size of house that you thought you were entitled to or the size of income that you thought you were entitled to so that other people can have access. And that's really challenging. I think it's a lot easier to judge and to ascribe punishment or to write, make lines in the sand about where people can go and where people can't go. Um, and I like mercy calls us to be, act in a different way. I think it's so controversial, you know, and Jesus, like the thing he says most in the new Testament is do not be afraid, which suggests that by nature, we are fearful creatures. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as fearful creatures, our natural instinct is tribalism, that we create us versus them. And especially when things are tense or you see it now with, you would think that this is the time where the world would come together and cooperate the most. I mean, it's, that's what's needed if we're going to uh, get ahead of this pandemic. And yet it seems like people are isolating and governments aren't cooperating. And so we fall into finger pointing 
and going back to our tribes, whatever those tribes are. And so I think that mercy pulls at that tribalism that's the natural instinct or that fear, which is kind of our first reaction to when things get tough, is that mercy um, asks us to get beyond our comfort zone. It asks us to transcend our tribes. And I think that it, it's, that's why it's hard. And that's why I think, though, that it's such powerful let's say, evidence for God or evidence of grace uh, because it, it transcends ourselves. And I think evidence of God's otherness as well. Mm-hmm. So what do we think are ways that we can pray into becoming more merciful or practices that we can live in our lives on an ongoing basis that can help us be people who are full of mercy and compassion? I think mercy is something, it's a way you can't think yourself into doing. You have to do to change your mindset. And so it's really about, like mercy is about a practice. So mercy is about being merciful. And so it's just something, it's a habit. And we have to instill that habit in ourselves by catching ourselves when we're being judgmental or when we're trying to, a lot of times when somebody does something, I will take it personal and I won't put the best interpretation on it. I will put my interpretation on it. I never and, do that. You're so holy. You never do that? I never do that. <laughs> you can be my mercy coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I think Jesus says, I think Jesus, out of anything in the gospel, he's the clearest about this. Mm-hmm. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry, visit the sick, accompany those who are imprisoned. I think in that respect, we've been calling mercy throughout this conversation a tenant or a principle or a value. And I think what we've been circling around and what you just honed in on, Travis, is that mercy is a virtue because it's something that we have to practice and do and live in our daily lives in order for that virtue to manifest itself and to make itself real in the way that we respond to people around us. Sometimes it's harder to be merciful towards the ones that you are closest to or the ones that you love most. Um, And I think in this time of shelter in place, that is a really great new skill or old skill that we can, um, that we can hone in on. And what are the small ways that we can be merciful towards the people that we live with that we're kind of safe at home with. I would just add to that. uh, Teresa is that often I find that um, people in general are actually quite merciful, except when it comes to themselves. Mm. And then they're the harshest critic and judge. 
And so, uh, as you said, mercy is a virtue. It must be practiced. It becomes a habit. And perhaps an easy place, or not so easy place, but a good place to start, is with ourselves. Uh, Being merciful with ourselves and not being so scrupulous and getting caught up on all the things that are wrong with us, but um, seeing as God sees and seeing the goodness that dwells in each one of us. Over these last couple of episodes, as we've been talking about people are people who are displaced and how we respond to the displaced, and particularly the displaced among us in the Bay Area, we keep coming back to this idea of seeing, seeing those around us, seeing those who need mercy. And I think now this idea of seeing as God sees, trying to see, trying to have God's vision for, for ourselves, like a merciful vision toward ourselves and the way we see, see the way we're trying and failing sometimes, but also seeing the people around us with God's eyes as well. The theme of mercy, this prayer instantly came because I felt like mercy has to be embodied. And uh, when we are merciful to each other, it's the surest way to encounter Jesus because that's Jesus's promise to us. Uh, And I just, before praying this though, I'd like to just thank um, you, Maggie and Teresa. I mean, this conversation took so many unexpected terms. We went from philosophy to market economies to communications uh, anything else I'm missing? <laughs> Little theology. Um, but it just shows how mercy is so weaved throughout our lives. Mm-hmm. It's big. So let us pray. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks. Compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. St. Teresa of Avila, pray Pray for for us. us. This has been Displacement, a Lenten podcast towards hope made possible by your generous donations. Go to our website, saintignatiussf.org to support our ministries.